Hey guys, I want to give a big happy new year to all our listeners. Thanks to everybody who checked out our Christmas special. We got a lot of really great responses. I really appreciate all of our listeners who hit us up, told us about their favorite Christmas specials, who just showed some appreciation for the show. I mean, big shout out to our listeners all over the world, but welcome to 2021. Fuck 2020, man. Let's get that in the rear view. I hope you guys spent most of 2020 like we did watching The Mandalorian Season 2. We have to dive into it. We got Kyle, our Mandalorian expert, back in the house. So let's get this show started. We have a bantha shit ton to talk about. So let's get going. I wonder how many other times nerds have referenced (laughs) bantha shit as a quantity. Like, that's how much of this we have to talk about. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one. We are all engine running. Lift off. We have a lift off. All right. Welcome to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm Aaron. I'm Matt. And Matt. I've been waiting to do this since the premiere of Mandalorian Season 2. We got to get talking about this, man. I've been dying to talk about it the entire season it's been running. But first, we got to introduce our special guest. We got him back in the house. He's our Star Wars, like, ace in the hole. He's our Mandalorian consultant for sure. Oh, yeah. For, like, for sure. <laughs> we got Kyle Akahoshi in the house. Kyle, welcome back. What up, guys? Kyle is a Star Wars buddy of mine for the last couple of years now. We've traded some toys together. We've we've bought Stormtrooper helmets together. We have. And I know like he just is like steeped in Mandalorian lore from Clone Wars and Rebels. And like he knows those characters by name even before the live action Mandalorian series started. So of course when we finished Mandalorian season one and Rumi and I were like, We gotta we gotta talk about this, I was like, dude, I know just the guy to bring on for that. And that was a Fun-ass episode. If you guys haven't listened to our first season, oh, Rumi's got a child with him. I got a little Grogu with me. Hell yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Grogu's. Matching Grogu's. <laughs> uh, I went a different route, and I tried to save a frog woman, and she ate my Grogu, and I thought that was fair. <laughs> Co- car- cosmically and karmically, I thought that was fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It, yeah, Kyle, welcome back. We're so glad to have you in the house. I'm glad to be back. This is awesome. But guys, let's dive right into it. Mandalorian season two. What a mind what what a mind blow. This thing, every episode had something to make me go, what the what? And I'm like texting Matt, and then it's like, we gotta do an episode. So here we are. Let's don't jump right in. Episode 201, The Marshal. We're back on Tatooine. <laughs> I mean, man, where do we start? <laughs> it's so hard. I'll start here. Fucking Timothy Oliphant is in it, right? Now, I love Timothy Oliphant. There's only a couple things this guy's done that I don't like him in, but yep. pretty much he's great. He does, he does characters well. And I see him at first, I'm like, wait, he's Boba Fett? It's like, no, he's not. He's this guy who got his armor. And I'm going to say right off the bat, this show just keeps doing things that I like. And there's something about how it does it that if another show did it, I might be like, ugh, pandering. But in this show, I'm just yeah, fucking you on, right? And I, but I'm, I can I can realize that. And this show just does it like in a way where they're like, you're putting some of my favorite actors who I think are just cool. Timothy Oliphant is just fucking cool. You know, like when you watch the show, uh, uh, um, Justified, Deadwood. Justified. I didn't care. I didn't care about Deadwood, but he did okay. He was great in Deadwood. But Justified, he plays this badass cowboy. So you you take that, and that's actually what I identify with him most. You put him in his badass cowboy role in Star Wars, and he fucking nails it. And he's wearing yeah. the Boba Fett armor, which looks, I mean, it looks so <laughs> cool. Not only because you know that it's this relic from the Star Wars universe, but it's like aged and weathered. And you're like, what has this seen? You right. also realize that Boba Fett lived. What was that moment like for you, Kyle? What When you see him walk in that door, what, what went through your head? Okay, I knew that Timothy Oliphant was coming back and he was going to be acted as Cobb Vanth, who actually came, first appearance was in the Star Wars Aftermath uh, book. Yeah. Yeah, so he was brought in. And I'm glad that, like you said, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, they're expanding this you know, universe by bringing in all these characters from different things like comic books and the books and video games. You'll see that reference a lot in this season too. Well, right off the bat. 
we skipped over the intro scene where we have the Mandalorians trying to find information about where he can find Jedi, and he meets with this Cyclops guy who he was voiced by John Luguizamo. Yes, so that's right. He was a gangster because he's actually a good friend of John Favreau. He's been in a lot of movies with uh, John Favreau, mm-hmm. like like that movie, The Chef. He was yeah. in that movie with him and stuff like that. So yeah, but they're they're ringside at this fight, and there's two Gamorrean guards fighting in the ring. Which I don't know if this is true, but I think it's a callback to the like PlayStation fighting game Star Wars Masters of Terrace Kai where there was a Gamorrean guard who had like an electric shield. Right. That might be a reference. It might not be, but it was still really cool to see them at this like <laughs> this like fight ring, fight club thing going on. And like, I think it's a video game reference. And then even later, in the, we'll get a huge video game reference to Dark Forces. Oh, man. I mean, we could go on and on. But to get back to Cobb Vanth, to see him come in in the Boba Fett armor, and at first you're like, Boba Fett? And they're like, wait, that's... That doesn't look like Boba Fett. What's going on here? And then he takes off the helmet and it's Timothy Oliphant. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool, but what's going on? But it tells you that Boba Fett escaped the Sarlacc pit, which is freaking awesome. Yeah. At first, though, it was kind of funny because a lot of people were saying that, you know, when he first appeared with the Boba Fett armor, he kind of looked like a string bean with, you know, his Boba Fett's armor on. He kind of looked a little mismatched. (laughs) But, you know, it grew on me that he was in like a red cape type thing. So he kind of was that gunslinger look which is pretty cool coming into the bar and then just ordering Spotchka and then yeah. sitting down and asking the Mandalorian what he wanted. And then, you know, he was about to have that, that duel of fates pretty much between Mando <laughs> and, and him. And, uh, you know, and then obviously unforeseen circumstances happen and something else appears. Right. And this is probably the next Easter egg that, that was so big in this episode. Oh man, we get a crate dragon. And not only is it a crate dragon, but they're playing it like sandworms. They're playing it like Jaws, like it's this big thing that you haven't seen mm-hmm. yet. They, they don't show you. But basically, Timothy Oliphant's like, okay, look, I'll give you the armor, but you got to help me kill the crate dragon. And Mando begrudgingly is like, fine, I'll go on this side mission with you. This whole series is set up like a video game where they're like, hey, Mando, oh. what do you want? He's like, I want to do this. And like, cool, cool, cool. You got to do this sweet <laughs> side mission first. And he's like, oh, all right, fine. Fine. And, and it's like those, right? well, you got to keep the baby safe. You got to keep the, the child safe. And if you get too far from the child, the mission's over. And like the yeah, child exactly. just follows you. It There's less things in this one. Like in the first season, the baby and the little um, bassinet would like follow him in certain scenes. Like he would walk into a scene and that would just be like invisibly tethered to him. That didn't happen as much as this one, which they're just like, uh, he's in the ship. Don't worry about it. And I think there's, it's funny because there's times where he's like, this child never leaves my side. And there's times, he's, there's episodes where he's like, you stay here. I got to go do side mission. Daddy's got to go. <laughs> Daddy's got to go. Yeah. Daddy's going to go get cigarettes. I'll be right back. So there's a, we get a great scene where they're, ter- uh, Timothy Oliphant, Cobb Vanth, and the Mando are on speeder bikes. And Cobb's oh. speeder bike is a pod racer engine, yeah, which is freaking is. cool. You know, a throwback to Tatooine it's mythology. Not just a pod razor, isn't it? Like specifically, Anakin's. It looks like Anakin's it, pod razor. It, certainly it, does. It does certainly does look like one of Anakin's pod racing. But I actually looked it up and stuff like that, and there's a lot of confirmation that it wasn't Anakin's pod racer. It was one similar similar to his pod racer, or similar to like Sebulba and all that stuff. So, but you know what's funny is that Tatooine. We didn't know that it was broken into like three different towns, and then all of a sudden you start seeing. Telemoto when he lands back at Maz Eisley that you know there's Maz Eisley, Maz Pelga, and then Maz Espa. So it's just three different towns. You know it's crazy to see how they're just building the world building, and then even Matt's favorite droid of all times shows up, and it's the original R five D four droid that Telemoto fixed up with the bad motivator from A New Hope. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, and he was actually, he's in a cantina in season one, too. For those of you who don't know, it's an R5 droid that, it's the one with the bad motivator from A New Hope, and that's my favorite Star Wars character ever. What are you trying to pull here? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, Kyle said one of the two key words, I think, is world building, and I think that's what made the original trilogy and, and the mythos so explosive and amazing was the term world building. Like, I would use the original trilogy to describe that term, to anyone who wasn't familiar with it because Star Wars doesn't sit you down and say, okay, here's the deal. This is over here. It just starts you in this world and everything is there and it looks like it's been there for a while and everybody in the world knows it. 
And the prequels, I don't think, did that well. The new movies, I don't think, did that very well. Some of the cartoons did, but this show just does it as, I mean, it's not second nature. I think they work very hard for that. But they make it look and feel like Star Wars, even in the worlds themselves. And They know Star Wars better than Star Wars knows itself. And it's they unreal. Keep show, it's so like, cool. When we see Timothy Olyphant talking about the night the Death Star was blown up and how the power vacuum formed, this is one of my favorite concepts that really wasn't really addressed until the, the Aftermath trilogy, which I think a lot of this, this series draws from. Mm. Um, and a big part of that is suddenly you've taken out one of the strongest fists of power in the universe and all these smaller factions are going to be like, I want a piece of that. And it's the, the head of the Hydra. All these bad dudes are trying to fill that power vacuum. And I think it's a fascinating time to explore. And I'm really excited that we get to see it actually addressing that issue that when the empire is gone, whose fist is ruling the crime world? Whose fist right. is taking the power? Who's taking control? And it's like, are the rebels ready to be like, yeah, we're in charge now. I don't think they were ever ready to be in charge of the universe. They wanted people to take over in their own right and, and rule themselves. But that's a big power vacuum that bad guys are going to take advantage of. And I think it was so cool to see that they had the mining syndicate sort of show that scene and him trying to use the, 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 the backpack missile launcher, which, oh man, oh. he used it so awkwardly. We get to, we get, I mean, in the Boba Fett redemption, we get to see him use it like a badass later. So right. we get the crate dragon, right? I mean, this crate dragon is such a beast. It's amazing to see it. It's a fun sequence. The Tuscan Raiders are awesome. It's a great sort of nod to old westerns again. You know, hey, let's work with our enemies and and you know, cowboys and Indians sort of working together to fight off some bigger threat. And they kill the crate dragon. There's a great moment where the Mandalorian, like, he's like, look out! And he hits him <laughs> in the back of the backpack, and the backpack takes off, which is a mm -hmm. nod to nod Boba to Fett the, going yep. out like a punk. In the same exact the same exact way because you actually saw on the jetpack before Mando hits it breaks it there's a little weld a strip that's on the back of where he got hit by Han Solo yeah like a patch I saw that too and I was like that's fucking great what a cool detail if you guys go back and rewatch that episode you'll see a patch on the Boba Fett backpack long story short they kill the crate dragon it's amazing the Tusken Raiders get in get some of that crate dragon meat. They find a pearl inside. What's with that? Anybody know what that is? I don't. <laughs> well, I heard that, it, you know, like, like I said, there's a lot of references to the video games and stuff like that. So I think in the Battlefront game or Knights of Old Republic, I'm not sure which one it was exactly, but I know there was a mission like you had to kill a, a crate dragon and get the pearl from it. So this was kind of like their way of, of, of nodding back to the video games. Just XP points is what exactly, you're saying. You exactly. <laughs> so, uh, 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 uh. A lot of other nerds and fans would know like, oh, that's from the game. You know, this is one of the missions that you have to get a, a pearl from the crate Dragon after you kill it. So I just, I just awesome. felt that, you know, this was so awesome. And this is the best way to bring back like Mandalorian season two was just have all these different Easter egg nods. Well, and not only was it a great way to bring it back, but near the end, as Mando's riding away with the Boba Fett armor, we pan up to this guy in a robe with, with a big big rifle and a uh, a gaffy stick, mm -hmm. and it's Tamora Morrison, and as we know who that is, it's Django Boba Fett, and I'm like, oh! <laughs> and so you know, he's like, I want my armor back. You can tell just that look on his face. I want the armor back. What an explosive kickoff to the season, and just waiting a week for that next episode, which to me, this is not my favorite up. This is probably my least favorite episode of the whole season, but it still delivers, but it takes a long time to get there. And so episode two, the passenger Mandalorian goes back to Moss Eisley and he meets back with Pelly and she's playing cards. She's playing Sabat with this big ant alien called Dr. Mandible, yeah. <laughs> which <laughs> to me is a, a sweet, like EDM DJ name. Well, <laughs> You know what the reference is on that, right? You know why there's a big old ant in that episode, right? It's from a, a book reference, right? No, it's actually Peyton Reed, the guy who directed uh, Ant-Man. It's his episode, so he brought in a big old ant, so as a nod, a reference to Ant-Man. So that's, that's why she's awesome. playing this big <laughs> I didn't know ant. that. That's yeah. Cool. yeah, it's well, Peyton Reed. And she beats him with the idiot array for the yes. Sabat. yes which is how Lando lost 
the the Millennium Falcon Correct. was the idiot's array, which is which is like the dead man's hand in poker, if yes. you will. But I thought that that was pretty funny. Um, they go back to her place because they they give him some information about where to find some Jedi. And there's robots roasting crate dragon meat with a pod racing engine. And this is a visual reference to Galaxy's Edge, the theme park. There's a pod racing engine roasting meat at a restaurant. I guess you can yeah. actually eat there. And that's how they like that's one of the, the sort of displays they have going on, which I think is hilarious that they're even referencing their own theme parks at this point. Yeah, but like like Disney does, the prices are gouged. So if you want an actual crate dragon <laughs> burger with crate dragon meat, it's really yeah. expensive. And if you go to the gift shop and try and buy one of the pearls, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Pelly gives a great line. She's like, "I don't want my meat well done. What do I look like a Rodian?" Which is fun. Yep. Yeah, the Greedo again. <laughs> Greedo likes his meat well done. Apparently. Well, because he got he got shot, he got wasted, right, by Han Solo. So he's he's definitely crispy. <laughs> <laughs> it it works on so many levels. So then we meet Frog Lady, who we had. She has a a jar full of eggs, and she needs to be taken uh, to a different planet so that she can fertilize the eggs, and it'll be great, and they can have a family. But this is the last of her line, and it's a big deal. I know. Last last season, we talked about how you know, like the names of these places and names of how star Wars does it, you know, they, they, they try to do it as the biggest names ever. Like when she was talking about the planet that this frog lady had to go to, it was like, what you paraphrase that? Cause she made a joke like, no, I'm just paraphrasing. But she was like the estuary moon of trash. And they're like, mm. what the heck? But yeah, star <laughs> Wars always does that where they reference like the third moon of the fourth sun of, you know, <laughs> the forest moon of Endor, man. Matt and I got into this whole thing about wait, is Endor <laughs> yeah. the moon or is Endor the planet? The forest exactly. moon of Endor tells me that Endor is not the planet; it's the. Moon. Do you think, like, in in context of of Star Wars universe, you know when you like type something into Waze and you're like La Brea, and it's like South La Brea or West La Brea, and you're like, I don't fucking know. It the address just says four oh six La Brea. Do you think that they punch that into the Nava computer and it's like, do you mean Endor the planet or Endor the moon? And you're like, I don't fucking know. And you go to the you go to like the wrong one and you get there and you're like, where the fuck is this shield generator? And you're like, that's on the moon of Endor. The moon, where am I? You're on the planet. <laughs> Recalculating. <laughs> but you have the choice to make the voice of your Wazer uh, fucking Yoda, and he's like, wrong planet you are. <laughs> like, God damn it, Grover. <laughs> Left you should have made. <laughs> get back in the back seat. <laughs> so then we get a bunch of like funny sight gags where Yoda's chewing on eggs and stuff like that, and it's, it's, it's funny, but the biggest issue I have with this episode is you have mm. a guy in a helmet and two puppets trying to carry an episode. Mm. And they're great puppets, don't get me wrong, but it's very hard to pull off any sort of chemistry between all of them because nobody has any real facial expressions. <laughs> but it's fine. It's it's really fun. Did you guys know that the frog lady, the actor inside the suit is the same person who was the uh, Ugnaught in the first season? Yeah, she was the same lady who played Queel in the first lady, so... She's she's really good. I, I that was Nick the, Nolte in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Nolte shrunk. Yeah, <laughs> half a Nick Nolte. So yeah, we have Baby Yoda eating the eggs, and this caused a huge stir. Um, this made the internet explode of people claiming that Grogu was a murderous little hand puppet. I don't know how you guys felt about it. I thought it was hysterical, but. I happened to get my hands on a phone call that Disney's top brass gave Grogu after this season. Let's just say some sources have sent me this. Do you guys want to hear the phone call that Grogu got after the egg controversy? Yeah, I love it. Love the idea that the character in this show has a cell phone number and somehow you got privy to this call. But yes, definitely we want to hear it. Okay, let me let me pull this up. Kyle, Kyle's playing with his Grogu right now. Not in a dirty way. Or was it? <laughs> All right. Well, hello there, Grogu. How's my little Yodacito doing? <laughs> well, I just want to call because, as you know, Mandalorian Season 2 is blowing up the competition like the Death Star did Alderaan. <laughs> now, I'm calling because in 
Season 2, Episode 2, The Passenger, we had a, a little incident with some frog eggs, didn't we? Ha oh. Now the internet is likening you sucking down some frog boba tea to genocide. And you may not know this, but oh, the Disney company really wants to distance itself from genocide. Ha ha ha. Old Papa Walt had a little problem with that himself back in the 40s. Ha oh. Now I want to make something very clear, you gluttonous green little freak. The next time you have a little tummy rumble, you go to the craft service table like everybody else and you leave those frog eggs alone. Because the last thing I need is the internet losing their shit over frog lady genocide. I got enough of my plate here, Grogu. Carl Weathers wants to direct more episodes. I got to paint out a PA in jeans. I got Cara Dune spouting anti-masker election fraud bullshit. And Pedro Pascal whining about his mask. Oh, I want my mask on. Ha ha ha. Oh, I want my mask off. Oh, boy. Ha 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 ha. And you've been my constant, Grogu. You've held this shit together. Now, don't fuck it up for some goddamn snack. Whoa, Pluto, shut up. Whoa, I will cut your balls off so fast. Oh, I'm sorry, Grogu. You, you know the mouse loves you. The pandemic's been really hard for old Mickey. You know, I'm cannibalizing our cruise ships just so we can sell the parts to China to make toys in your likeness. want you to keep that in mind. We do a lot of this for you. So let's keep it together. Ha 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 ha. Because I want to make something very clear. I will not hesitate to turn you into a CGI monstrosity. And Werner Herzog isn't around to save your ass this time. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, he didn't make it to season two. Ha 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 ha. So you got to make like a sand person and walk in a straight line. <laughs> or I'm going to let Dave Filoni wear you as a tiny little green cowboy hat. Anyway, I got Favreau coming over later to play with Star Wars toys. Ha 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 ha. We're going to plan out season three. So don't put anything crazy on your Instagram. Ha 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 ha. And try and control that appetite for genocide. And I think we should be good. Got it? Great. Mouse out. There we go. That was it. That got hardcore. At, like at a certain point, Mickey just like turned the corner on that conversation. We saw the dark side of Mickey. <laughs> it's funny. I was gonna say this as a joke, but like at the way that they're they're helming this show, they keep doing things where like, and and we're gonna get to it in a second when we talk about the next episode. There's a couple times where I'm watching this show and I'm like, uh, 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 I'm a nerd that knows better, and what you're doing now flies in the face of some continuity bullshit that I know about. And then they'll be like, we thought of that. And you're like, fuck. So I wouldn't be surprised if we find out later that like these frogs are a race of like hardcore Sith frogs. And Grogu was actually doing that on purpose, not just because he had a little tummy rumble. So my dad gave me a call after this and he's like, I have a theory about the eggs. And I was like, what? He's like, I think that something's going to happen to the canister and Groger's actually going to like barf up the eggs and be like, I was saving them, saving them for later. See? <laughs> and I was like, that's a good theory, but I think it's just funny that he's eating eggs. I think that's just a funny thing to have happen. I thought it was funny too. Uh, although I'm going to be honest and we'll talk about this towards the end of the, the review here, but I don't care about Grogu. I think Grogu is cute. I like the idea overall, but like I'm, I'm happy that the season ended the way that it did in that, Theoretically, we don't have to deal with Grogu next season because to me, he's just like a glorified prop and he's glorified wonderfully. He's adorable and I like him despite myself. But to me, he didn't, especially this season, he didn't really add much to me. I mean, he was a, pl a plot point, but he didn't add much contextually. Yeah, I think I disagree. I think the focus, though, on this season was not just about Grogu, even though as much it was the adventures of trying to get him to the Jedi of his kind. But I think season two overall was just introducing maybe all these characters from, like I said, the video games or the, the, the animated series, the Clone Wars or the Rebels, you know, and you got nods to everything from all the, the animated series. Mm -hmm. So it seems like this direction was they just wanted to introduce, you know, a bunch of characters and bring them to live action. Uh, for the, the world, fans, pretty much, yeah. The yeah, world yeah the world gets so big in this. In Before this we talk about the the third episode, and you said nod, Kyle. There's a cool ass nod that I don't know if you guys saw in the passenger. I didn't see it until I saw it online. There is a Ralph McQuarrie painting from I think it's from Empire Strikes Back of the giant spider creature yeah. of mm -hmm. Luke finding this giant spider creature, and it was one of those billions of things that they designed art designed for the original trilogy and just didn't make it 
And again, Filoni and, and crew and, and, and Favreau and crew know this legend of fucking the universe so well that they pick from those things. And that giant spider creature is really heavily influenced by this, if not taken right from the Ralph McQuarrie painting. And I just think that's so fucking cool that like, I mean, the three of us are huge goddamn nerds, right? Especially about Star Wars. But there's shit that I'm not even picking up while it's happening. A, because I'm so engrossed in it. And B, because it's such a deep cut of a reference that like I'm not realizing until after that, like, oh shit, that thing was that thing from that thing. It's like, damn, man. Yeah, right. I, I just, I can't, I can't give it enough props for that kind of stuff. Exactly. We get a real nice xenomorph nod in in this episode where Grogu finds the spider eggs and it's like it really reminds you of aliens opening mm-hmm. up. So cool. And, you know, shit gets hairy for him. It's a great action scene. We don't need to get into it that much because it, it was cool. But I love this thing in this, sh- this show where, like, there's big deus ex machina moments. And mm. in this episode, it's a deus ex wing machina <laughs> moment. Oh. Damn. Rumi, you came correct today. You were ready. I yeah. thought that was hysterical because I was like, oh, this is some deus ex. X-Wing, because <laughs> they come in and save him. Dave Filoni is one of the X- X-Wing pilots. Trapper Wolf. Would you guys say that with that deus X-Wing machina, did you think that they S-foiled the spider's plant? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rumi. Oh, if your dad knew anything about Star Wars, he would be <laughs> yeah, so proud of you. That's He's a like, Star wait, Wars oh, dad that's joke. The, that's the wings of an X-Wing. My son, I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of what a good nerd and dad joker you are. (laughs) Oh, well, let's keep it rolling, guys. We got to get through these. So episode 203, The Heiress. Holy shit. Holy shit. This is such a huge one for me because season one, I remember thinking and saying to a couple people, Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian, number one. And no, because they've made that very clear in many things. And number all two, right, all right, we'll get to that. I know, but that's the thing is the, the show is like we it. know, we know. But like you know that I thought that, and then I also was like, we've seen countless Mandalorians take their helmets off in a lot of different situations, and this episode does some cool things, including explain what like what and why that discrepancy is there, and it's just like you know what I. Fucking, I, this show is great for that reason. Yeah, we introduced Bo-Katan. Kyle, you introduced me to Bo-Katan. I didn't know anything about this chick, and the lore that you laid out in our first episode got me to look into her. I didn't watch any of the cartoons yet. I'm still not there yet, but this season is the first time I ever was like, I might watch an episode of this, but I still haven't because I have a huge grudge against the prequels and anything that has to do with prequels if it has a battle droid in it i am out but i was so intrigued by by what you were telling me about the mandalorian lore so i looked into it and saw some stuff and read up about bo katan so when she popped up in this episode i was like oh my god it's bo katan and my wife's like who you nerd never mind i don't care <laughs> she's like whatever yeah, they seem not to care about those characters right unless you're a true fan but yeah no yeah. bo katan when we talked about her in season one about how we thought that the armor might be bo katan it mm-hmm end up not being that case but you know it was a good theory but yeah Bo-Katan she like I said from the animated series The Clone Wars she was part of Death Watch but then when Pre Vizsla was killed by Darth Maul she ended up not wanting to be part of that Death Watch group anymore so she broke off and, and became her own group called the Night Owls that's why Bo-Katan's helmet looks like an owl the face yeah. owl so her little clan of three that she has right there all part well i'm not sure about axe wovens he's kind of a, maybe a different story but we don't even see him after yeah the, this that is battle. it that was the only right. thing so i'm assuming he might have taken that big old ship that they commandeered from the empire and he probably took it to somewhere maybe mandalore maybe some outer rim planet i'm not sure but anyways so by Casca reeves who is played by sasha banks who was a pro wrestler so yeah. another pro wrestler in this, like, like Cara Dune being played by Gina Carano. So, but those two, Bo-Katan and Casca Reeves, you know, they're part of the Night Owls. So yeah. when, when we first saw them land on that barge after, you know, obviously Grogu gets in trouble by getting pushed into this water pit where this monster by the Mon Calamari and the Quarren, you know, gets pretty much almost eaten. and these Mandalorians, you know, pop up out of nowhere after Mando gets thrown into the water and trapped under there. 
And it was the best scene, I think, to introduce Bo-Katan as this badass Mandalorian warrior. And she reaches down to save him from the water, and it's a mirroring of him as a child being saved by the Night Watch, which I think is really cool. And to show that there are different factions of Mandalorians, I think this is a big, this is the first time we open up this bigger plot idea of Bo-Katan is trying to reunite the Mandalorians and reclaim Mandalore, but this is a huge problem because right off the bat, he's like, you took your masks off, I hate you. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a lot of different Mandalorians and a lot of different ideas. You were saved and raised by ones that are a little bit on the fringe, a little extreme, and he's like, whatever. But it's it's wild to see that she's going to have a really hard battle to just unite the forces of the Mandalorians to even go take Mandalore back. It's a really cool seed to plant, and I think later episodes show that I think that's what season three and maybe four and maybe even spinoff shows are going to be about this bigger issue of bringing everybody back together and trying to reclaim their homeland. Right. She says like Dank Ferrick, which is pretty much like the Star Wars version of FU pretty much. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she says that and then McClunky. she goes, he's <laughs> McClunky. <laughs> no, she says that he's a, uh, a child of the watch. So that's yeah. when you find out that, you know, when mm-hmm. he first was rescued as a fondling, that the Death Watch was the actual group that came and rescued him. And that's why he never takes off his helmet. Like Aaron was saying, Mandalorians have different groups where, you know, they don't practice the same thing. So I thought that was pretty cool that they brought that back from the Clone Wars. And this is a cool episode that gets into it because it's almost like um, if you're a sports guy and you, like, because I know a lot of sports guys like Star Wars, (laughs) but if you're a sports guy and you're good at a sport and you end up playing with another team that you don't normally play with, your style might be different, but you're both still good at the game. And I feel like this episode is cool for that because you watch this crack commando unit of three, you know, different types of Mandalorians storming this this ship with Mando. I'm not calling him Mando with Mandalorian helping Mando. <laughs> and I like I like that the four of them are kind of working together, but he's kind of like doing his own thing. Also, it's just pretty badass. Some of this episode, it, it some of the stuff this and the next episode, he's a little too bulletproof for me to like feel like the stakes are that high. But like, yeah. okay, fine. It's cool to watch them fucking use jetpacks to land on a, a, a ship that got stormtroopers coming out to fight him and they're shooting him and knocking him off the ship. I love that guy. I love that shit. It's fucking great. Oh, man. I uh, This episode has a bitchin' tax scene. It's so good. They capture the ship and she kind of gives him the, the information he needs, but his ship is so banged up, and they fix it a little bit, but he's got to get back to repair it before he can go find this Jedi. That this is where his ship falls in the water at the beginning, right? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was fucking cool. It's about to crash into the, 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 the landing platform, and then it just drops out of the air and falls into the water. They need like a, an AT-AT type crane to pull it out. Pretty fucking funny. We could talk about this episode more, but let's jump into 204, The Siege. This one's directed by Carl Weathers himself, mm-hmm. Grief Karga. Uh, it's a pretty good episode. This one's almost more action than than story, but it, mm. it within the action, it drops some huge moments that I don't even think I wrapped my head around when I first watched it. Uh, so they get back to the town. Grief Karga's there. We have Kara Dune is now the the marshal there. In the background of this bustling town, I don't know if you guys caught this, but there's an IG-11 statue, yeah. and it's like victorious because yeah. he helped save the town. I thought that was a really cool nod. Uh, we meet Mithril again. He's the guy from the first episode that got carbonated and delivered mm-hmm. as, a, as a bounty. Now, here's a question for you guys. As Star Wars nerds, when you watched... Empire Strikes Back, was it your impression that Han Solo yes. was the first person to ever be carbonated and it wasn't yes. for people? No. Yes. Yeah. So why is Mando just like, I got carbonite people for days? What are you talking this about? This is right? later. Because now it's like a mobile unit. It's like cell phones. Like the first phone used to be like attached to a wall. Then you had a portable phone you could walk around your house with. Then you had a car phone. Now we have <laughs> phones in our pockets. That's yeah. how car- carbonite was like just for freezing Tabina gas, right? Or is that what is Tabina gas? And uh, then they're like, wait, you could fucking freeze Harrison Ford in there? Well, can you freeze aliens too? And then they're like, after like, I don't know, this is how this is years after Jedi, right? And Jedi was years after Empire. So think of how fast cell phone technology has risen in our time. I would think that I would. And I, I dude, I thought the same thing you said. I was like, wait a minute. That wasn't really for transporting people. But then, you know, 
Then they have the he's got the mobile unit where he fitted it into his ship. You know what it reminds me of when you used to go to like fucking Spencer's Gifts in the mall and they had all the posters in like the movable oh, yeah. frames that you'd flip through. That's in season one in the first episode. Yeah, he's got that of carbonite bad uh, of carbonite prisoners. You know, like click. Yeah, just switch through the different guys that he's got. But then that, that makes Boba Fett almost more famous, like the first guy to ever attempt a human carbonating. And you're like, oh, man, Boba Fett, you really changed the game with that. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like nobody is nobody going to mention that when we meet Boba Fett later. Like, oh, man, I used to transport them alive in this little canister that I had. I was doing it like a chump. And then you introduce carbonite to the game. Dude, I would love to do an infomercial for the mobile carbonite system, you know, like. Holding cells are a thing of the past with the Carbonite 4000. It only takes one by, you know, two feet by two feet square. You push in your, and you you, you show like the old, like a black and white of like, you know, uh, a, a bounty hunter. Let's say like a Bosque type bounty hunter, Trandoshan bounty hunter, bringing in like a prisoner. And the prisoner is unruly. And Bo- Bosque looks at the camera in black and white and just shakes <laughs> his like, head. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Billy Mays here for the Carbonite Solution. And like these Ugnots are like these little like showgirls that are like, dun, 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 dun. he's like, is he alive? Ding, 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 ding. He's alive. Oh, we need to do that commercial. All three of us need to do that commercial. Oh my God. I would, that would be so fucking funny. Oh, big long story short. They're like, we got to go stop this shit over here. There's this outpost. There's some stormtroopers there. Let's go. And they're just a dick to Mithril the whole time. They're like, hurry up, asshole. Hurry up. Can't you hack this faster? He's like, why did you even bring me? You're just going to be a dick to me the whole time. And like, because we don't want to climb out on that thing. I mean, that, that was He's high. He's the Rob Schneider dangerous. of this group. <laughs> yeah. He's the Horatio Sands of this group. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, we get a really cool thing where uh, we kind of get a nod at this cloning stuff. And I think, I don't know who, what they were looking at, the clones in the, in the tanks, but uh, snow clones? I think it looked like a snow clone. Yep. Yep. I think it looked Can you guys like please him. space that out because you make it sound like they're tasting colored ice. <laughs> I think it was a snow clone. <laughs> <laughs> they wheel out a snow and they're like, do you want like blue raspberry or red cherry? It's like a, a snow that's got like a red stripe, a yellow stripe and a blue stripe. Here's your snow yeah. clone. Uh, and it's only good for the first few bites and then it's just a hard piece of ice that you have to chew on. Yeah. You know, it yeah. probably is Snoke or, or more related to the newer stuff. But to me, what I thought of first, and this just shows like the stuff that I grew up on, but I immediately thought of Dark Empire, the comic book where we have clones of the Emperor. Like, and there's a, a whole cloning facility where there's multiple clones of the Emperor. So it's like, it's just one of those things. And this is kind of a cool thing because when you know so much about the Star Wars universe like we do, because we didn't have girlfriends till we were much, much older. But like, <laughs> but like, it could be anything, right? And it, I mean, I'm just as excited for option A as option B as option C. And the fact that this show is being run by people who know that shit, I'm just ready for the ride. You know, it's going to be fun. Well, Matt, you just brought this up and, and we'll talk about it in the next episode uh, that we talk about. But the canon that we know is no longer canon. Dark Empire is gone, dude. Mm-hmm. That shit's kicked out the window. I'm going to bring up uh, the the Grand Admiral Thrawn trilogy in a minute. Out the window. That was like my favorite book for the longest time. And people are like, what's your favorite book? And somebody's like, oh, uh, you know, uh, give, me a, give me a big literary snobbery thing. Um, Great Gatsby. I love Great Gatsby. <laughs> and I'm like, I like Heir to the Empire and Dark Force Rising and The Last Command. Those are my favorite books. People did not take me seriously in literary circles. When you say did, do they take you seriously now? Like you've 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 worked it, you've earned your with that fucking mustache and hat. Yeah, man. Because I just come in, I'm like, oh, I I read the most recent literary book. I I can't even lie to you. I haven't been to a library in almost ten years. No, no. We we all fucking know the names of all these imaginary plants. We can't think of one actual literary book between the three of us. Between the three of us. <laughs> Teacher, Matt, what the hell? My kids know what fucking Jack Who is, I'll tell you that right now. They don't know how to read, but they could tell you what planet fucking Boba Fett is from. 
we see the Snoke clones or whatever the fuck they are, and to escape this exploding outpost, we hop in the Trexler Marauder, which old nerds like us know as the Imperial Troop Transport from Kenner. Mind blown. Mm-hmm. This is the second time that we saw it. So the last episode of season one, number eight, that was the yeah. when Matt said yeah, the Troop that, Transport was, was back yeah. in. Yeah. To hold more of your stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only do we get to see this thing uh, in action, but it's a tank and it's a badass. And we get this sweet, like, speeder bike, tie fight chase with the Trexler Marauder. Cara Dune's driving it like she stole it, uh, which she did. (laughs) We continue to see that the Empire is more dangerous to themselves than any blaster can be because they keep crashing their bikes and crashing into each other. But hey, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. Razor Crest shows up. Saves the day. It's great. What a great episode. Super action packed. And at the very end of it, we get a tease of the Dark Troopers, which is like, whoa, what are those? Whoa, what we got going on? Because uh, we see Moff Gideon like sort of tinkering around in his his. And it's dark a great trooper tease hall. too, because they're fucking yeah. shiny, glossy black, and everything yep. else in the scene is black, and it's lit in such a way that you think that you're seeing giant-looking troopers, but you can't really tell. The camera never shows them. Shows them. It's just. I mean, it's a well-designed tease, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, well, the cool thing about those dark troopers is, you know, they were, you know, Dr. Pershing later on says that they are a third generation, meaning that mm-hmm. they got the element of human out of it, and it's all yep. pretty much robotics. But the cool thing about it is when I saw the season two uh, behind the scenes on Disney+, Plus, it was actually live-action actors, and then they kind of CGI'd you know, the parts that, you know, the steam coming out of them. Sure, yeah, the mechanical yeah. parts. But it was actually live action people moving like robots, like just a nod back to like C-3PO, and you know, R2-D2 being manned by an actual person. So it's pretty cool. cool how they did that. And actually the Dark Troopers came from the video game. The The first appearance that it was was Dark Forces. Dark Forces, 1995. Yeah. 1995, wow. That was PlayStation 1, I think, right? Now, this is the game. I had it on PC. Yeah, I had it on PC because I wasn't allowed to play Doom, even though all my friends were. And when Dark Forces came out, I was like, look, it's Star Wars. It's not demons and hell. And they were like, okay, fine. And so, like, that was my introduction into first person shooters was Dark Forces. And the Death Troopers were just a pain in the butt, man. They, they would troopers, not go dark down. Dark Troopers. Death the Troopers d- are from. Robot. The Dark Troopers. Yeah, yeah. The Dark, dark Troopers just would not go down. They were such a pain in the butt. They took a million bullets and just what a pain in the ass. And then the dark troopers appear in um, Force Unleashed. I think it was maybe Force Unleashed 2. And when you fight them, if you don't kill them right away, you can knock them over. When you knock them over, they go, and they sound like Grievous getting knocked over. But it just sounds like it's a funny idea that in the middle of a fight, whoever's in there is like, when they just fall over. (laughs) We'll get to some awesome design flaws of the dark troopers later, but. (laughs) <laughs> Can we move on to episode 13? Or We got to, man. Let's get to the All Jedi right. because this is where things go insane. This episode starts off in a, in a thing that I think we have been waiting to see since fucking A New Hope. And that is a Jedi wielding a lightsaber, in this case two, fighting non-Jedi adversaries who do not have a weapon that can withstand a lightsaber. And it's not zip, 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 you know, um, jumping all over the place, CG Yoda cutting through people. It's a pr- an actor with two swords running and hitting people who just can have no chance against it. And I wanted to see this thing because this is what in, in when you watch A New Hope and then when you watch Jedi, when you're like, if Luke wanted to turn that lightsaber on right now in the middle of all those stormtroopers, what would that look like? And I don't like how the prequels did it because it made it too video gamey. It was yeah. like, there's no challenge. In this, you have freaking Ahsoka do- dodging behind trees, turning her lightsabers off in the dark so that they can't find oh, her. So badass. Cu- and it's the cool thing, too, and I thought about how they shot this. They shot it in such a way that a lot of times there is a guy standing behind a tree and then she's behind them and cuts both in half. They didn't want to show you the people getting cut in half, but by putting the tree in front of them and showing her cutting the tree in half, you know that that also cut the guy in half. And it's just, I mean, to shoot that fucking scene like that is brilliant from a, a, a logistics and a plot, uh, you know, a blocking sense. And, and to imply the action there without showing that she's cutting people in half. Right. But she's cutting people in half and not in a, 
a video game, zip, 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 I'm cutting these guys in half, you can't even understand what's happening. She's running between people, and they're trying their best to shoot her. She's not blocking a thousand bullets. She blocks a couple bullets, and then just, bam! And she's fucking shit up. And I was like, okay, I don't even care what happens the rest of the episode, I'm on board. But the episode delivers so much more, man. We're at the mm-hmm. city, Caladan, on Corvus, and both of these planets are references, direct references to Dune, which is a huge inspiration for George Lucas and we'll find out more about that for the Dune movie later this year. But Ahsoka is basically trying to take down this warlord who's inside this this town, and she's really just fucking up the people inside the town, torturing them, being mean to them. The town is very much designed like Jabba the Hutt's palace, which were these old monks that would put their brains in spider droids. So I'm wondering if that's a similar thing, if that's the just the architecture aesthetic, or if the monks were actually here too. Uh, but... The, the evil lady, the bad warlord, her sidekick, fucking Michael Bean. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. from Aliens, from Terminator, yep. and his weapon is a shotgun, which you don't see shotguns in Star Wars. It's a direct nod to Aliens when he had the shotgun. He's like, chew on this, shoots it through Keep the elevator. these elevators. around for so close encounters. Cool. Yeah, I like his uh, character, too, because he's, like, she's a warlord, and he comes across as, like, this is my job. And there's even a scene at the end where he's like, well, she's been killed. I don't I don't have any gripe with you. I don't there's no need to, to fight. I don't want to get killed. I surrender. But then he does the bad guy thing where he doesn't really surrender. But I thought it would be cool because I thought he was going to live. I thought they were going to keep that character. And I was like, I would see more of this character. I liked his motivations. I liked the things he did do. I liked the things he didn't do. And Michael Bean played him in such a. I'm stuck at this fucking outpost. I don't want to be here, but this is my job and I'll take it seriously. And Can we talk about the dual standoff at this moment? Oh my God. Outside, you have a Western standoff. The Mandalorian and Michael Bean are doing an old school mm. Western, Western standoff, yep. just like Fistful of Dollars. Inside the wall, you have Ahsoka fighting the war. What's the warlord's name? I keep forgetting her name. Her name- Sally. So, so the warlord's name is actually, she's a magistrate. Her name is Magistrate Morgan Elsbeth. And the person that plays her her name is Diana Lee Aino Santo. And guess who she is? Who? She is the godchild of Bruce Lee himself. So wow, this fucking her, guy. Yeah, so all of her fighting techniques were what she had taken from when she was learning from Bruce Lee as a That's child. That's amazing. Yeah. Because inside the walls, when, when we're fighting the magistrate, it's, it's a samurai standoff, just like Lady Snowblood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that blew my mind that they were doing a full on. She has a Beskar spear. She's fighting Ahsoka outside. We have a Western standoff. It's so it's like samurai standoff, Western standoff, just like back to back, edited together so well. And I love that moment where he's like, "Sound like uh, Michael Bean says to the Mandalorian, he's like, sound like your side won.'" And it's like, oh, it's so cool. So cool. I, I what just, a great just, fight scene. I just like the two different things. Like behind one gate, it's all beautiful. Behind the other gate, it's chaos and poverty and slavery on the other side. So you get the two different elements. Like you said, the Japanese side is always kind of more the beautiful, mythical type side. And then you get the the dirt and grit side on the other side, like the Westerns, you know? So yeah. I loved how they, they did that. And Dave Filoni actually directed this episode. So he yeah. brought back his most prized character, Ahsoka. So obviously he had to, you know, be the director on this one. But I just loved how he compared the two between, you know, samurai movies and westerns. And I think there's an important thing that that we love to joke about it. We love to shit on the um the the prequels for how CG they are. But I feel like when you watch Mandalorian, you're as an audience member, you're grounded because you know that most of that are sets. And I know they're doing a lot of rear screen projection and stuff, you know, a, a, a much more technologically efficient way of doing that. But there are sets there. And I think when you watch a movie that doesn't have sets and everything behind it is computer generated, you, you know that. Your eyes and your brain know that. And it takes you out of it, even if it only takes you out slightly. Whereas when you have a show like this, that not only is the attention to detail so exquisite, and we as fans appreciate that and also get the biggest, you know, nerd boners over it. But like just the fact that on a basic level, they shot that shit in two fucking stages where they built things. And that makes you feel like they are in a world because they are in a place, you know? The big design thing too, it's it's knowing the design and it's the idea that all of Star Wars designs are feudal inspired. Like 
that was the biggest mistake that the prequels did is they didn't follow their own design that they had laid out. When you walk into a bar in Star Wars, it doesn't feel like a sports bar like we see in one of the prequels. It doesn't feel like a diner, like when we go to that one fucking diner Ooh, yeah. in the prequels. Mm-hmm. It feels like an old, like dingy, gross, like feudal pub. Like when you go to the inn to get your mission for your D&D game. The, the design is supposed to be this feudal thing, this medieval feeling, but with futuristic tech. And the prequels lost that completely. They lost their own design aesthetic and what made it good. Well, same with like the pre the, the sequel series, like that moon that they went on the last Jedi, last Jedi. And you're mm-hmm. like, what the heck is this? Like, it's like a yeah. casino, like Las Vegas. And I'm like, where is this going? Like, there's a planet that they have, like just a casino with the rich and they're betting on these kind of kangaroo looking horses or something like that and have the kids in the stables. I don't mind the idea, but they did it wrong. Sure. Correct. Right, right. Even like the the whatever the what was the last movie the la, or the rise of Skywalker rise of or whatever Skywalker, yeah you have like when she comes face to face with the Emperor clone and they're with all these other clones and monks around them and stuff you know that that wasn't real and for me I think that like I use the term grounds for Mandalorian that I'm not grounded I'm not tethered to that scene because like the whole thing is fake it's like a a, a video game cutscene and it doesn't mean it's bad. But when you have that attention to work, you know that people put that work in. I mean, it's cliche to say that. And I think it's kind of cliche for people to feel that. And it might be generational. Like maybe our our kids are not going to feel that way because they won't have that experience with most of their um, their media. But for me, it's like when you see Mandalorian and Michael Bean fighting in a, 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 you know, like they're standing literally in dirt. They, you know. A grounds guy put fake dirt on the ground there for them to walk on. Mm-hmm. It looks like a fucking movie, you know? And it's like, why can't you do that for the fucking films? But this this is a great, great um, episode. It also, like, as far as being badass, it gives us some guidance about a Jedi who looks at, you know, Grogu. First of all, we find Grogu's name, right? Oh, we know yeah, we skipped over one of the Grogu. biggest bombs of the whole episode. It's Grogu. Yeah, we find out his name is Grogu. She says she can't train him, though, because she herself has left the Jedi Order. She's not really a Jedi Master, um, so she can't train him, which I wish they explained that a little bit more, but I'm sure they're going to get into that. You don't have a voicemail for that? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Grogu, it's Ahsoka. Uh, I got to cut through some idiots and trees in a second, but I just want to let you know I can't train you because I left the Jedi Order. And I am like pretty busy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to Aaron, what you were saying about how you know Ahsoka can't teach Grogu, I think she does explain it. She says that she sees so much fear in Grogu's mind, his thoughts, and stuff like that. That she she even says it herself that she has seen a fully grown Jedi Knight turn dark, and that was yeah. her her obviously her master uh, Anakin Skywalker turned Darth Vader now, right? So mm. you see that through the Clone Wars, how, you know, she was Anakin's Padawan and goes through all these missions and stuff like that just to see her, her master turn to the dark side because of his fear and his anger, his emotions. So that, I think that's the whole thing of bringing it back to light and dark, right? So yeah. she sees that, you know, the child is fearful because of the fact that he's alone and, you know, she doesn't want to train him because she doesn't want to see him go down the same path as her master, Anakin Skywalker. Which is cool, because we haven't seen Jedi say no most of this Correct. universe. Correct. It's always like, yeah, I can do that, which is pretty cool, like the folly of man, right? I can handle this, and then it, it shoots you in the face. But <laughs> but potentially, Grogu's seen some shit. She says he right. escaped the fall of the Jedi Temple, which, whoa, mm-hmm. that's some shit you've seen. Also, it's kind of mischievous, but we've only seen him kind of use the dark side. He has, he's like, I want those Macrons. Boom. Taking them. I'm, 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 I'm chewing on cookies. Like, and it's kid stuff, but like at the end of the day, he's using his powers for selfish means. He only reacts to it in fear. Oh my gosh, my buddy Mandalorian's about to get attacked by this rhino thing. Bam. I'm using the force, which that might be arguably more of a light side thing, but he's re- it's all reactionary. He tried to heal Mandalorian in the first or second episode. Mandalorian yeah. had a cut on him, and he that was the first time we ever saw him use look like he was going to use the Force as he walked up to him with his hand up. And he was like, get back on your fucking crib. Yeah, and I don't think it's, it's consciously good or bad. I think Grogu's just being reactionary because he doesn't really yeah. know what to do. He's never been trained. He's, he's potentially still a kid, even though he's 50 years old. 
So it's very interesting to have her be like, mm, I don't know, man. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm down with helping this guy out and I'm not really qualified. So she lets him go. But at the end of the episode, we got another big bomb where she's talking to the magistrate after, you know, about to defeat her. And she's like, where's your master? Where's Grand Admiral Thrawn? And I was like, whoa. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had mentioned those were my favorite books for a minute, hot minute. And, uh, oh, my God, if we get to see some Grand Admiral Thrawn live action, I will be so thrilled. I think Grand Admiral Thrawn, well, you know, you just saw the 2020 Investor Day that they just dropped. And it was like like 10 new shows that were coming out. So I'm yeah. so yeah. glad that Dave Filoni and John Favreau again teaming up to do an Ahsoka live action and a Rangers of, of uh, I forgot what it was called, the Rangers of Rangers right? of the New Republic. And, uh so Ahsoka, I think that live action show is going to show her breaking off from the Mandalorian and going to go find Grand Admiral Thrawn. The last time that we actually saw Grand Admiral Thrawn was in Rebels. And it was mm-hmm. Ezra who was taking Grand Admiral Thrawn with his ship and these like whale looking things that I guess when you're traveling with those, you can go into hype, you know, light speed and stuff like that. So that was the last time that we ever saw Grand Admiral Thrawn and Ezra. So I think the Ahsoka series is going to be Ahsoka trying to find Ezra and Grand Admiral Thrawn, or maybe Grand Admiral Thrawn escaped and killed Ezra or something, but there's going to be some, some little parallel. There's potential in that character and there's potential in the storylines that we know of, like the things that we've seen him do in comics and in the cartoons. And then there's just also stuff like within the hands of someone like Dave Filoni, you could do some pretty bitchin' things with Thrawn. So it doesn't like it's it's like we said before about um some of the other stuff that they're they're implying or hinting or leaving us as a tease. I don't care where you're going. I'll I'll buy that ticket, you know. Oh hell yeah. Tickets, please. Choo choo. I am all on board. <laughs> <laughs> so we're at about an hour right now. I think we need to split this into two episodes. So man. Kyle, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, you'll come again to talk about the next, like the big three episodes, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're acting like we're going anywhere, but we're going to keep recording, but we will release the next part of this next week. So follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at LaunchpadPod and our website, LaunchpadPod.com. Let us know what your favorite pieces of The Mandalorian Season 2 were. What were the parts that blew your mind? Even more, what's the stuff we forgot like or didn't talk like? I'd love to hear about what you guys saw that we haven't mentioned, whether it's like Easter eggs or, yeah. or, or connections to other characters, things from other you know shows or comics, whatever. Tell us what you guys noticed that we haven't covered because we fucking love that stuff too. We'd love to hear what you guys thought. Well, before we leave, we got to do the three-way high five, guys. Let's blast this thing off. Kyle, do you remember this? We're going to come in from the side. Rotate into the rocket ship and then blast off with the raspberry on the count of dude, three. I never realized it, but our handshake is very slave one. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Comes in sideways, rotates, blasts off. All right, let's do it. Three, two, one. Whoosh. All right, guys, we've been the Rocketeers and we are out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five. Four, three, two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.